you'd like to follow in your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 43. I grew up going to church, attending Sunday school. When I was in high school, I was confirmed, and I affirmed every major Christian doctrine. College, I didn't go to church as often, but I would say I believed in Jesus. On the other hand, my brother eschewed all the major Christian doctrines. He committed himself to the philosophy of existentialism. He was ungrounded, selfish, angry young man. He went off to California, but when he returned, he was transformed. He'd become calm and centered, grounded. His selfishness had turned into selflessness as he cared for the needy, and he looked after the wayward. He attended church every possibility and led Bible studies. And I attended a couple of those. And I went to church with him. And I came away realizing that his faith was different than mine. And the faith of those in his church was different than the faith of the church I was grown up in. Tragically, my brother died shortly after that. And... Whenever I would have a spiritual discussion or talk about my brother, I would say, I believe in Jesus, but my brother believed in Jesus. I saw there was a difference. I didn't really understand that difference until my last year in college when someone shared the gospel with me and I accepted Christ as my Savior. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that your Spirit would help our hearts examine ourselves in your presence. For us to... Be honest with ourselves to realize and understand where we are on our spiritual journeys. And then move us forward wherever we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this morning's passage, we see two types of faith. We're going to see that of the Galileans and that of the official after he returns home. We're going to look at the difference between those faiths, and then we're going to make three applications. So let's begin with the Galileans, and we read in verse 43, After two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. Now, Jesus had, been spe- had spent the two days in Samaria, and now he continued his trip from Judea and uh, arriving in Galilee. And John makes an insert at this point and says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So as we read this statement and see Jesus is now returning to his homeland, we would expect a chilly reception from the Galileans. We would expect that they're going to reject him. Yet the next verse seems to say the exact opposite. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. So what had happened was 
many of the Galileans had gone down to Jerusalem for the feast, just like most of the Jews did. During their time down there, they witnessed Jesus performing miracles. And so when Jesus returns, they're pretty excited that they've got the miracle worker coming to their home. So how do we... How do we understand these phrases as they come together? The prophet is not with, is, has no honor in his hometown, and yet his hometown seems to be receiving him and welcoming him. And the dilemma is resolved when we look at verse 48. It says, Jesus said to him, this official who had come for the healing of his son, said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. See, that you is plural, as Travis would say, you all. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So we understand that this welcome was all about them seeing Jesus as a miracle worker. That was the level of their faith, and Jesus was challenging them in that faith. They believed, but they didn't believe in Jesus It's similar to what happens in Jerusalem that's recorded in John chapter 2, 23. It says, Many believed in his name when they saw signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, for he himself knew what was in man. And so we have the same case with the Galileans. On the outward, they seem to have this faith in Jesus, But Jesus knows their hearts. He knows deep down they have really not come to believe in him the way they need to believe in him. Their belief was very different from that of the Samaritans. For we read in the previous verse before our section, the Samaritans said to the woman, this is 442, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The Samaritans hadn't witnessed any miracles. They weren't wowed by supernatural feats of Jesus. They were wowed by Jesus and his message. They accepted Jesus as their Savior, the Savior of the world. The Galileans accepted Jesus as a great miracle worker who could do fix the problems they had in their lives. The Samaritans were looking to Jesus as one who would give eternal life, the living water that springs up in us to eternal life. The Galileans seemed to be looking for someone who would fulfill the physical needs of their life. Their faith was limited. Now let's turn to the official. Most scholars see this man as an official in Herod's court. That's the same Herod who executed John the Baptist. So Herod was no friend of Jesus. In fact, he saw Jesus as an enemy just as he had seen John the Baptist as an enemy. So it would be unlikely for an official in Herod's court to be converted to Jesus Christ. And yet we see that this man is desperate. Just like any loving father 
whose son is critical. Son is critically ill. He is going to overturn every rock, try to find every solution, or go to any person who might offer a healing. And so this official, being up in Capernaum, hears that Jesus is in Cana, and he travels down, and we read in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, we expect that Jesus' response will be as compassionate as he always is. And he would say, certainly, I'll go with you and I will heal your son. But instead, Jesus' answer is shocking to us. Verse 48, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. Jesus rebukes the man and he rebukes the Galileans. Is this kind of response one that we would expect from a loving Savior? Would a loving God respond to this plea to save a son in this way? And the answer is yes. Because something greater is at stake in this passage than physical life. Jesus does love this official. He does love the official's son. And he's going to go and heal. He's going to heal the official son. But he needs to give a wake-up call because the faith of the official, the faith of the Galileans is inadequate for eternal life. See, this life is going to end, but Jesus offers a life that will never end. Something much bigger than physical life is at stake. They don't have the kind of faith that connects them to Christ in the way that we need to connect with Christ. The rebuke does not deter the official. So we see in verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And at that point, Jesus says, Go, your son will live. Jesus does many, many miracles. He calms the seas, feeds the thousands, heals the blind, helps the lame walk, casts out demons, even brings people back from the dead. And this we see another dimension to his power. He heals from a distance. And he does that on purpose because it is a learning process for the official But it's also a challenge to the Galileans. Because the Galileans, they're waiting and anticipating the big show. Jesus is going to go down. We'll go with him and we'll see what Jesus can do. Instead, Jesus isn't doing that. He simply says, go, your son is healed. We have no record of the Galileans going down because there's no big miracle to be seen at Capernaum. Their faith, again, was limited. But we now see the faith of the official is developing. He first comes to Jesus because Jesus is a miracle worker. Now, we see in verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. 
Now the man is believing the word of Jesus Christ. He's leaving Jesus, not having seen the healing of his son, but trusting the word of Jesus. When he returns home, his faith grows to another dimension. His son is better. And so he asks the servants, at what time did my son begin to get better? And he discovers that it's the precise time that Jesus said, go, your son is healed. And now the scripture says, he believed. And his belief was so great and of such a quality that he evangelized his whole household and his entire household believed in Jesus. So the question is, what was the content of this man's faith? If it wasn't simply that Jesus was a miracle worker, what's the content of his faith? Because we don't see it in this passage. But we do see it in the section that comes before this passage. And that's what John, that's where John points us when he says that Jesus came to Cana where the water was turned to wine. He's reminding us, go back to John chapter 2 in that first miracle. This is confirmed in verse 54 where John says, this is now the second sign that Jesus did. The first sign was in Cana of Galilee. So we need to look at this entire section from chapter 2 to this story as a whole. In chapter 2, Jesus begins his ministry by turning water into wine. And he shows us the quality of his ministry. It is a ministry of celebration. It's a ministry of joy. It's the abundant life that he's come to offer. Then as we move to chapter 3, we see Jesus speaks to a very religious man whom everyone thinks has eternal life. And he says, no, you must be born again. And he leads Nicodemus to the gospel that he needs to believe and we all need to believe. Where it says, if you believe in the Son of God, you will have eternal life. But he also describes it in an illustration of a story in the Old Testament. And he says that Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. See, the people had rejected God. They were sinning against God. And so God sent serpents to bite them and they were dying. As they cried out to God, God made a provision. He had a pole and then had a bronze serpent wrapped around that pole. He had the serpent there because that is what was killing the people. And he said, if you go look to that, when you look upon that, that is when you will be saved. That's when you'll be healed. And Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when Christ dies on the cross, it's what kills us that is put on him. And what kills us is our sin. That's what separates us from the God. That's what brings the judgment of God down upon us. And so our sin was placed on Jesus. So whoever looks to Jesus as that who saves us is the one who believes in Jesus. Even though that wasn't described to the official, neither was it described to the Samaritans. However, we see the Samaritans got a message from Jesus where they concluded he is the Savior of the world. 
And those are the last words before our passage. So John is leading us through this truth and showing us a journey in contrast to the Galileans who had a, a faith that believed in a miracle worker and a faith that believed in a Savior. Now, let's make three applications. The first is, it doesn't matter why you come to Christ. It matters that you come to Christ. We might assume that Jesus' rebuke, unless you seek signs and wonders and will not believe, is a rebuke that the Galileans are going to be rejected because they're looking for the goodies, because they're selfish. But that's not the case. The official himself began his faith journey selfishly. He wanted Jesus to heal his son. But he ended up his journey really believing. The woman at the well began her journey selfishly. She was looking for that living water so that she wouldn't have to come to the well to retrieve water. But in her journey, she ends up with the other Samaritans believing Jesus is Savior of the world. I began my acceptance of Jesus selfishly. Someone shared with me, Jesus said he offered an abundant life. And that's what I wanted, an abundant life. That's where I started. But I ended up accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. I have yet to meet a person who began their spiritual journey with Christ selflessly. I haven't met that person who said, you know, I care for the world. And I, I know Jesus will save the world, so I guess I'll accept him as Savior because it'll begin with me. No, we all want our sins forgiven. We all want eternal life. We all want a relationship with God. So our journeys begin selfishly. But once we truly accept Jesus Christ, we become born again. And as Jesus says in the book of Luke, he who is forgiven much loves much. And so when we receive that forgiveness, we are drawn to love Christ and begin to love those Christ loves, to begin to love the will of God the way Christ, the way Christ does. And we are transformed from being selfish where we began to more and more selfless the deeper we grow in our Christian faith. Our second application is that our acceptance of Christ does not protect us from suffering. I think most of us who are Christians, it's been our experience. But there are those who still think that when you accept Christ, there, there might be this bubble of protection around us, that Christ wants us to be healthy, he wants us to be wealthy. Uh, and you might get that from this passage because the official began with, I need Jesus to heal my son. But that's not the case. As Jesus says in John 1633 talks to his disciples I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you're going to have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world 
Jesus doesn't promise an escape from the world, from our, the troubles. In fact, he's warning them, you're going to have more troubles than most people because you can be persecuted because you're faith in me. You're going to go through tribulations. Christians are going to go through suffering. But what he, Christ offers is peace in the midst of that suffering. Peace because we know that God holds history, that God causes all things to work together for good, for his good and his glory. And that's our desire, God's good and God's glory. We have a hope that no matter what happens here, it's going to be undone as Christ makes all things new. That death itself is simply the stepping stone to an eternity with our Lord. And that God uses our troubles to form us into the image of Christ. He uses troubles as a stage where we could show our love and commitment to Christ and glorify and honor him. No, our acceptance of Christ does not protect us from suffering, but it does bring us peace in the midst of suffering. The third application is we need to examine ourselves and our faith. Do we believe or do we believe in Jesus? Like me, many people assume they're Christians because they've gone to church their entire lives. They've gone to Sunday school. They've affirmed all the right Christian doctrines. They may even give a lot to the church. They may tell people about Jesus, but our faith could be limited to the intellect. We may believe about Jesus, but not believe in Jesus. And to show the difference, uh, I'm going to go back to an event in my life. When I was in a previous church running a Bible study, a man named Steve joined it for the first time. And after the teaching was done, he asked me about dreams. He said, Pastor, I've, I have these dreams over and over again, and they're about God. And what do you think God's telling me? I responded, well, I don't know if that's a revelation from God or not, but I think under the sovereign hand of God, I believe he's telling you to get closer to him. Steve said, okay. Then I asked him a question. Steve, if you were to stand before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Well, Steve responded, Oh, pastor, as he dropped his head. God would never accept me. I have too much sin. I've done too much wrong. I've hurt too many people. Oh, God could never accept me. Now, most people respond very differently. They would say, Oh, uh, I'm a good person. I haven't hurt people. I don't murder. I don't. Uh, cheat, I don't steal or lie, I try to help people the best I am, I'm very sincere. If you'll notice, people with that answer are saying, I believe in me, because it's I, 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 I. I'm trusting myself before you, God, that I'm good enough 
to be accepted into your heaven. But Steve's answer was very different. No, God would never accept me. And and that excited me because it showed me Steve was ready to see Jesus for who he is. Now, I knew he had a, a background going to church. And so I asked him, Steve, why did Christ die on the cross? He said, oh, he died for our sins. And I said, Steve, did he die for your sins? There's a pause. A smile started coming across his face and he said, yes, Jesus died for my sins. And I said, if the sin, your sin is a barrier between you and God and Jesus has taken that sin away, why can't you have a relationship with God? And he shook his head up and down and said, Yes, Pastor, I understand. In that moment, his life was transformed. From that moment on, he lived the life of pursuing God, serving God, loving God. Because what happened was that which he had intellectually in his mind of facts about Christ, Christ died for sin, he personalized in his own life. He knew he couldn't trust himself before God. But he saw that Jesus Christ took the sin that separated from God. And so he could trust Christ as his way to a relationship with God, to heaven, to eternal life. That's what it means to believe. So the question remains for us this morning. What's your faith? Is it, I believe, facts about Jesus? I do believe he's the greatest man. It's enough for me to go to church. Or have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you done what Steve did? Have you looked at your life and realized it's filled with sin and there's no way that God would accept you That you're like a drowning man who can't swim, who cries out to the lifeguard, save me, save me. That we are drowning in our sin and we turn to God and we say, save me. And God has sent his son. And we realize that that son came and took all of our sin, paid for it, took the judgment of God that we deserve so that we could have life with God. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you would like to do that, you can do that right now. If what I pray is your prayer and it's your heart, I'll give you the words. Follow me. Lord God, I know that I have sinned. I know that sin separates from me you that I deserve your judgment for you are a holy and just God and Lord because of that judgment I need a savior because I can't save myself I see that Jesus Christ came as that rescuer that he took my sins past present and future He bore them on the cross and took your wrath 
your judgment so that I no longer have to pay it. I accept Christ as my Savior. Lord, as he comes into my life, transform me and lead me to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father, we thank you for your truth, especially in John, that confronts us over and over and over again with the beauty of what our faith in Jesus Christ does. That we, like Nicodemus, like the woman at the well, like the official, find the path to you in Jesus Christ. May we be like this official who not only experiences Christ, but turns to his household, and that we go beyond to those around us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.